Okay, we're continuing together our study in our Confession of Faith, in which we're dealing with paragraphs 3 and 4. And these um, paragraphs, pardon me, paragraphs 2 and 3 is what I meant to say, these paragraphs deal with the state of the bodies and souls of men at the last day. Now, paragraph 1 talked about what happens to people after they die now. Paragraph 2 talks about what happens to people at the last day. Now, as we said last time, um, there is a last day. This age is coming to a conclusion. It's coming to an end. And it's finally going to have a last day. And there won't be any more days after that. Um, there's uh, terminology we need to understand. The, the Bible in the New Testament talks about the last days, plural. And then it talks about the last day, singular. Now the last days, plural, is the period from Christ, his first coming, until his second coming. We're living in the last days right now. We've been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years. But there is coming a last day, singular, which will be the last day of the last days, plural. <laughs> and then there will be no more days after that. So, when it says in paragraph 2 of our confession in chapter 31, at the last day, what it's saying is at the end of this covenantal period, um, will be the end of time and the end of this world as we know it, the end of life as we know it here on this earth for all peoples. And there will be the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal state and um, this world as we know it will be no more. And life as we know it will be no more. So um, it's not going to just go on forever and ever. There is a conclusion coming. Now, it talks about what's going to happen to people on that last day. And we saw last time at the last day, such of the saints, that is the believers that are found alive, shall not sleep. That is, they will not die, but be changed. Now, we looked at two passages in relationship to that particular statement. And the first passage we looked at, which we want to just briefly review, is in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It will start out reading at verse 50. It says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, that is what you are right now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God being the eternal state in heaven with God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. That is, our bodies now are corruptible. They are corrupting. Um, and they cannot live in a place where there is no corruption and where... Um, it is all incorruptible around us. 
He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we'll not all die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So, what's going to happen to the believers at the last day when Christ returns is they're not going to die. Do you recall why death is called sleep? I mentioned that last time. Okay, I'll buy that. That's good. And why else? Right, it's not permanent. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the reason why it's called sleep. Um, just like when you go physically asleep. I mean, last night you were all asleep, right? I hope. And uh, when you were, you were unconscious to the world around you. You were out of touch with it. But that condition was temporary. You all woke up. And so in the same way, when we die, we're unconscious to this world around us. But that condition is temporary and our bodies will wake up again. And they will rise again, just like you rose out of bed this morning. Um, those are the parallels. That's why death is called sleep. All right. So anybody you lay in the grave isn't going to stay there. They're all going to wake up again someday. All right. <clears throat> so um, that's what's going to happen to the believers that are alive when Jesus returns. They're not going to die, but they're going to just be instantly go from a corrupt body, which we have right now, to an incorruptible body a resurrection body without going through the process of death. Now that's also described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now this is where we left off last time. And uh, we'll talk about this passage a little more. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll start out at verse 13. Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. There's our terminology again, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So we have hope that uh, we're going to be resurrected. We're going to be with our future loved ones. We're going to be in heaven and the best is yet to come. So when we lose someone who is a Christian, we sorrow, but we don't sorrow uh, as though it isn't going to get fixed. Whereas with the ungodly, um, they have no hope of, of eternal life. They have no hope of deliverance from hell. Uh, many of them think they're going to go into oblivion and never have consciousness again. Uh, they think that their loved ones that have died are gone forever. They don't have hope. And so when they lose someone, they sorrow at a much deeper level than we do because they have no optimism regarding the future or any grounds for it. Um, <clears throat> so that's why he says in verse 13, um, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not. 
uh, information as the antidote to sorrow. Now, here's the information. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, we're talking about the people that we talked about back in paragraph one, the people who die now. And we said that when they die now, their bodies go in the grave. But if they're saved, they go to heaven and they're with Jesus. Well, when Jesus comes back, he's bringing those souls, those disembodied souls that are in heaven with him. He's bringing them back with him. Okay. And when he brings them back with him, they, their bodies are going to be resurrected and reunited with their souls. Uh, we, of course, won't die. We'll just instantaneously be changed uh, into our resurrected bodies. So they and we will be the same. We'll have perfected souls and perfected bodies all at the same time. Theirs by resurrection, ours by instantaneous transformation. Okay, We'll see that as we go on. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain... Until the coming of the Lord shall not precede, the old King James says prevent, it means go before, shall not precede or go before those who are asleep or those who have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord, or for comfort one another with these words. So what these two passages are saying is the same thing, namely, is that those who are alive when Jesus returns will not die, but they will be instantaneously um, transformed into perfect souls and perfect bodies. Now, the confession goes on to say then, and all the dead, that is both the saved and the lost, all the dead shall be raised up out of the grave is the implication with the selfsame bodies and none other. Now, the body you have now is the body you're going to have forever and ever and ever. Um, it will be changed, but it will be the exact same body. Bodies are not like thrown away, dissolve, disappear, never to be heard from again. And God goes, oh, well, that one's too rotten. It's too huh, dis dispersed throughout the planet. Um, I'll just make a new one for you. It doesn't happen. God collects all the molecules of your body, puts them all back together, put them together once. He can certainly put them together a second time. And um, do you know that that's why, why people um, started doing cremation? Cremation is actually something that was started by um, those who were uh, defying God. And basically, it was an effort to claim that Resurrection is an impossibility. If we burn a body and turn it into gas and ashes and then scatter those, there's no way they can ever be resurrected, which is very foolish. The implication is that 
can't God keep track of all those molecules? He keeps track of the whole universe and the movement of every speck of dust in it and uh, controls all of it. Certainly, he can round up all those things. And, and so it was a futile effort on the part of, of the atheists, really, to, um, to um, try to defy the doctrine of the resurrection. Um, of course, even Christians sometimes get burned up in fires, buildings, right? I mean, you're in a building and it catches on fire and it burns up and you're cremated. Um, God won't have any problem resurrecting people who have been cremated, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally. But the general rule is, is that Christians' bodies are to be buried, not burned. And um, there's a variety of biblical reasons for that, and uh, we'll look at them. But even if somebody is cremated, um, it doesn't hinder the process of resurrection at all. But anyway, what... uh, It goes on to say here is that we will be resurrected with the same body and none other. And that's the reason why Jesus' tomb was empty because his body was resurrected. It wasn't somebody else's body or a new body. It was the same body. Now let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Jude. Strike that. Job is what I meant to say. The book of Job. And we'll look at chapter 19. book of Job is just before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 19. We'll start out at verse 25. Uh, Job understood very well about the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and that that was how he hoped to have forgiveness of sins and salvation. Now notice what he says in Job 19.25. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that He shall stand at the latter day, or the last day, upon the earth. So Job knew that Jesus lived. He knew He was a Redeemer. And he knew that on the last day, Jesus was coming back. What else did he know? Verse 26, and though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And so what he's saying is, even though my body is consumed, even though worms eat it up, in that body, in that flesh, I am going to see God. So don't fear about the decay that your body's going to undergo um, or worry about what's going to happen to it. It will be resurrected and you will have it. And... uh, there won't be any disappointment. I, I, I know that many of us think, wow, you know, I don't like my looks. I hope I look better than this when I get to heaven. You will. You'll be very happy with how you look. And people say, well, what age are you going to be? If I die when I'm 70, am I going to have a 70-year-old body when I'm in eternity? Or if a baby dies, you know, not, not a baby, but a young child, three or four, five, six-year-old child, 
You know, are they going to be still six years old? Um, I don't know the answer to all those questions, but what I do know is that we'll be able to recognize each other and that whatever we have by way of bodies, they'll be perfect and we'll be perfectly happy with them. And um, so as far as all the details, God doesn't give us a lot of those, but we do know enough to know that um, though this body is destroyed by worms, um, yet, yet in this body, he says, in this flesh, I will see God. All right. You know, there's an interesting phrase in um, 1 Thessalonians 4 that we just looked at. Uh, where Paul says, the dead in Christ shall rise. Now, when you become a Christian, you come into a union, a living union with Jesus Christ. Your soul is in union with Christ and your body's in union with Christ. And when you die, you separate your body from your soul and your soul goes to heaven. And of course, it's in union with Christ. But that body that goes in the grave is also still in union with Christ. And that dead body is in Christ and it rises. Um, So the union between ourselves and Christ is never broken, either with reference to our soul or our bodies forever. And, And that's a great source of comfort. Now... Uh, There's some other passages that we want to look at together in relationship to this issue that the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other. It says, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. And so the idea is that there is going to be uh, a general resurrection where bodies and souls are going to be joined back together. It's going to happen both to the saved as well as to the lost. And both the saved and the lost are going to have bodies that have different qualities than they had while they were here on earth. Now, the quality of the bodies of the lost is not going to be the same as the qualities of the bodies of the saved. But they will be different than they are now so that they will be suitable for eternal existence. For the lost, suitable for eternal existence in hell. For the saved, suitable for eternal existence in heaven. Now, um, let's look at Daniel chapter 12. The book of Daniel chapter 12. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. Okay. Daniel chapter 12. Now, Daniel chapter 12 talks about the last day and the things that lead up to it. And notice chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, And at that time shall Michael, that's Michael the archangel, will stand up the great princes which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, speaking of the great tribulations, going to precede the second coming. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered at the end of the tribulation. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. That's the book of life. Okay. 
Now notice verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Notice the idea of sleeping and waking. These are dead people who are now being resurrected. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So what this tells us is there's going to be one resurrection, and that the saved and the lost are both going to be resurrected at the same time. It's going to be one general resurrection. And uh, so there's not going to be a resurrection before the millennium and then a thousand years go by and another resurrection at the end of the millennium. Isn't going to happen that way. Um, like the dispensationalists teach. Uh, there's going to be one resurrection and at that resurrection all of the saved and all of the lost are all going to be resurrected at the same time. Okay? And it's going to happen at the second coming, at the deliverance at the end of the tribulation. Now, uh, a second passage you want to look at is John chapter 5. Gospel of John chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Once again, this sets forth the notion of a general resurrection. John 5, 28 to 29. It says, Jesus speaking here, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of of damnation. Once again, the same language that's used in Daniel, there's going to be a single event in which all of the lost and all of the saved are all resurrected all at once. There aren't going to be a couple of different resurrections separated by time periods. It's all going to happen all at once. A third passage that we want to look at is Acts chapter 24 and verse 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 24. Paul is giving his defense uh, before the governor and um, before Felix. And um, he's explaining his conversion and his teaching and his doctrine. And he says in verse 14, <clears throat> But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they, that is the Jews, call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Now here's our verse, verse 15. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now, three times in the scriptures, in Daniel chapter 12 and John chapter 5, 
and in Acts chapter uh, 24, we're told that there's going to be a single general resurrection at which all of the just and all of the unjust will be resurrected at the same time after the tribulation at the second coming of Christ um, and uh, with reference to the opening of the books. Uh, in Daniel, it talked about they that are written in the book. And so it seems very clear from these passages that there is only one general resurrection that occurs at the last day. So when it says all the dead shall be raised up, when it's talking about all the dead, it's talking about the saved and the lost, shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other. So what do we know this far? On the last day, Christians who are alive are going to be suddenly perfected in their bodies and souls in an instantaneous act. Christians who previously have died will come back with Jesus. Their bodies will be resurrected and reunited with their souls, and they will be with us perfect body and soul. The ungodly will also be resurrected and their souls will be reunited with their bodies. They, they will, their souls will come out of hell and they will be reunited with their bodies. And then the question is, what happens to the ungodly who are alive at the second coming? What happens to them? We know what happens to the godly, right? They're instantaneously changed. What happens to the ungodly who are alive? Well, the answer is we don't have any explicit scripture that says what happens to them. It may be that they will be killed, cast into hell, and then resurrected. The Bible talks about Jesus destroying people with the brightness of his coming. And so it may very well be that just his second coming will strike all of them dead. And then, of course, his coming isn't going to take a big, long time. Let's say it takes 30 minutes from the time he's seen to the time he gets to the earth just to pick a number out of the air. Um, they'll be dead for 30 minutes and then resurrected. And I kind of think that's how it's going to go. Uh, it may be that they will also be instantaneously transformed into their corrupt um, eternal bodies, just like we're transformed instantaneously into our incorrupt eternal bodies. But it's, it's silent about that. So, um, in any event, um, our post-resurrection bodies are going to have different qualities, which will be united to our souls again. Now, Unfortunately, we're out of time, but let's turn to the passage anyway, 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to look at verses um, uh, 42 and following, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 and following. Let's go back up to verse 35. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35, it says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? 
Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened or made alive, except it die. In other words, when you put a seed in the ground, the seed has to die in order for the plant to come out to life, right? Okay. And in the same way, when you sow a body in the ground, it, it dies, it's dead, it, but, but it comes back to life. All right. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance be of wheat or some other grain. Now, when you put a grain of wheat in the ground, does a grain of wheat come out of the ground? No. What comes out of the ground? A stalk of grass that has a head of wheat on it. If you put an acorn in the ground, does an acorn come back out of the ground? No. An oak tree comes out of the ground, right? And if you put a corruptible body into the ground, does a corruptible body come back out of the ground? No. Something with different qualities comes out, though it finds its origin in the original and is an extension of it. Now, that oak tree has all the parts of that acorn in it. But it's changed, and that's the point he's making. Verse 38, But God gives it a body as it has pleased him, into every seed its own body that comes out of the seed. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also, and now he's talking about heavenly bodies, celestial bodies, that is, um, things like stars, and bodies terrestrial, the earth. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Earth doesn't shine as bright as the stars, and the, the moon is not like a star. They have different qualities, is what he's saying. Verse 41, there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So it is in the resurrection of the dead. And so what he's saying is, though, is that, you know, what something was can become something different, and these things can all differ in glory from one another. Um, and, and he says that's parallel to... Um, the nature of the resurrection. Now here's our, our verse, verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now the word sown here means placed in the body. When you put a grave in the body, I put, a, put a body in the grave, pardon me, um, it's sown into the ground like a seed. You take a seed in your garden and you bury it, right? That's sowing the seed. Well, when you go to the graveyard and you take a body and you put it in the grave, you are sowing a seed. You're planting a seed. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body. It's raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So next time we're going to talk about what all that means, okay? But I just wanted you to look at the passage and to think about it and to recognize that what goes into the ground is not the same as what comes out. What comes out is from what went into the ground, but it's different than what went into the ground in terms of its qualities. It goes from corruption to incorruption. And this passage describes what that looks like. So next time we'll talk about what our resurrection bodies are going to be like and what their capacities are going to be. And um, it's going to be uh, amazingly wonderful.
Um, the short answer is our resurrection bodies are going to be just like Jesus' resurrection bodies. His was physical, tangible, touchable. He said, touch me. Spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And then he says, give me some food to eat. And you ate some food in front of him. Okay. So in many respects, we're going to be the same. But in many respects, we're going to be different. So we're going to talk about what's going to be the same, what's going to be different next time. Okay. All right. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the fact that uh, we have a blessed hope to look forward to. Thank you that death is not the end, but the beginning of a glorious unfolding future that you have provided for us through the redemption that is in Christ. Father, thank you for the fact that there's going to be a last day and that Jesus is returning. And when he does, we will receive the full benefits of our salvation. Lord, we look forward to that day. We pray that it would come quickly. And Father, we pray that you might help us to be prepared for it so that we are certainly saved because we are constantly repenting of our sins and believing in Christ as our Savior, recommitting ourselves to him each day. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand these things correctly. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.